what's that thing called? Karate? If you're planning to live or buy a... Well, I mean, I'm sure you're planning to live. <laughs> uh, if you're planning well, to actually, live Well, actually, I have an announcement for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's on record, so... This will be the last show. Um, welcome, everyone, to the greatest episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I am here with your number one favorite top voted host, Nathan Kalwank. How are you doing, Nathan? Uh, I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. Of course. I don't know what we would do without you. Like, the whole co-host thing would just sound silly if you weren't here. Yeah, if there was just one. The, you have the monopoly on co-hosting. be a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. But I'm glad you are here, so it's not. What you, what you do last week? Last week? Well, I went out for my first hike of the season, so I was very wow. happy about that. I biked over to Mount Doug on the island and uh, did some hiking, and I felt like myself again. Um, I didn't realize that I felt so cooped up from the winter, which here is really just a few, like three to 12 weeks of clouds and rain. Um, so it's not like a bad winter as far as winters go. But I didn't realize I was still hanging on to that, so it kind of knocked off the winter cobwebs, and I felt like felt like myself. So got a bunch of sun, got outside, did a hike, and now I'm thinking I need to do more of that sort of thing. So possibly do that again this weekend. Yeah, I, I rate eight out of eight. Definitely would recommend getting some sun and getting out. We now, at least on the mainland, I know we have these sort of rules to stay in your jurisdiction of sorts, or you can go to the neighboring jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So if you live in like Vancouver, you can go hike in Squamish or Whistler, but nothing farther than that. So we went a little, since I'm in Burnaby, I went to a little east, um, I think Coquitlam, I don't know. All east just merges into one for me after a while. It's just BC and then Alberta. Um, but yeah, I went, went and hiked uh, in golden years and it was, it was really nice. Some waterfall, some hiking, some trails. All that good stuff that Canada West Coast has to offer. Yeah, I have this habit of just always biking to Thegis Lake and just realizing once I get there, I just walk around the lake and then go home. Because I'm like, oh, there's nothing to do once I'm here. Uh, so I wanted to go somewhere else for once. And uh, it was a nice change, and I didn't realize how nice the bike ride over would be. So I enjoyed that as well. It was fairly flat, which was a welcome change from where I usually bike, which has a lot more hills. So I didn't have to be nearly as sore by the time I got back home. Mm. I've started, I'm, I'm a new biker, and I don't understand what people mean by, like, happiness when they're cycling. Um, everything hurts so much, and I don't get it. The only good part of it is when I'm going decline a hill, and wind hits my face. I'm like, this is nice, but then I have to go back that hill coming back home, and, and yeah. I don't know how people enjoy cycling, um, but I don't know. My, I consciously feel good about it because then it's more eco-friendly and all that jazz, and I don't have to pay money for a car. But it's the whole, yeah, I just, I just don't my get it. My big hang-up is I have to go get my bike out of storage, and I'll be in my room for a good three to five minutes beforehand being like, do I want to get my bike out of storage? Because I have to go down there, get the bike out of storage, walk out of the building, then get ready, and then I can go. Whereas I know, like, if I just could walk out and be on my bike, I it would remove that little bit of friction. So I'm like trying to get in the habit of just saying I'm gonna go for a bike ride and just 
go straight down and get your bike out of storage. Like as long as I do that part, I always enjoy the bike ride. And there's not been a time where I've been out there and been like, oh, I regret this decision. So I'm trying to mm. remember and get in the habit of being like, don't get hung up on just having to go down and get your bike out of storage. It's not that hard. And uh, for some reason, I use that as an excuse sometimes if I'm feeling lazy. And try, try you just got to hire a bike valet. You, you pay somebody money. You just like call them or text them. And then they take the bike out of storage and put the stand outside your building. Uh, except because it's me, I'd be like, oh, I don't have to pay for that. I can do it myself. <laughs> so it actually might work. Yeah. I'll, okay, from now on, that'll be my mental model. Instead of thinking, do I really want to get my bike out of storage? I'll think, well, I don't want to pay a valet for it. So I may as well just do it myself. Yeah. Every time you do it, you transfer $1.50 in your savings account or something. Wouldn't it be great if you had an app that did that? <laughs> It motivated you through monetary I see what you're doing there again. Yeah, that could be an idea. (laughs) Could be an idea. Uh, But that's really cool. Um, Yeah. Is there any cool tech thing you came across? Yeah. So I sent this to you earlier. Uh, I'll just mention it on here quickly, which is uh, Sequence Diagram, I think is what it's called, .org. And it allows you to build UML diagrams really easily. And uh, we started using it at work the last couple weeks. And I was on a call today and saw somebody actually using it and it does a lot more than I thought it did and it looks really easy to use. And so that was pretty cool. Uh, But in the past I've called this section something like cool, interesting, or frustrating. And I do have a piece Mm. of tech that has all of those things combined. And we've discussed this briefly before, but Elasticsearch, it's basically just been the last two months of my development life has largely just been around Elasticsearch. And that fully encompasses something that is cool and interesting and frustrating because when you've got it working, it works really well and it does really cool stuff. So, you know, they have this whole simplified query language because there's two different query languages they support. And one of the requirements I had to build out last month was using the simplified version and essentially forwarding that along through one of our applications so that we could query our logs better. And uh, setting it up was easy once I understood how it actually works. Because the thing that we've come to decide about Elasticsearch within our team is whatever you think it's probably going to do, just ignore that because that's going to be wrong. Like whatever you think it does is definitely not what it does. It's horribly unintuitive for like the people who haven't thought about it the Elasticsearch way, which is everybody who's used everything else, it seems. Um, So they have good ways of solving Elasticsearch problems that don't reflect the same problems you're used to solving. So you go in there and you're like, oh, it probably works like this, and you're just way off. So uh, I've had a number of false starts with I'll start architecting something and then realize all my assumptions were wrong here. I need to restart. But now that I've been doing this for you know, four plus weeks across a few different services that integrate with Elasticsearch. Uh, It's become much more comfortable and I look forward to finishing up the thing I'm currently doing where we're doing using it to search some cold storage. Uh, So we had the original implementation or service I was working with, it was all write only because it was just logs, but this one has hot and cold and we're going to be using it to do some querying across both hot and cold storage. So it's a cool technology, but prepare to be frustrated if it's your first time looking at it, though the docs are pretty good. They're not like the best ever, 
but they're probably like a solid seven, eight out of ten. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. No, I I don't know. I've never had a badish experience with Elasticsearch. It's never been great either, but it it just feels like an it. I treat it as I would treat MongoDB and have. Uh, the only good thing about it is I don't have to commit to a table. Um, all I have all these different indexes. I can throw them around based on upon the data and their search frequencies. I can adjust the shards, and that's it. I throw everything to Logstash. Logstash can figure it out based on the rules I've set there, and then Elasticsearch just sits there and consumes. Mm -hmm. And since I'm not much on the reporting coring side of things. Um, I just let people who are good at that stuff figure yeah, it out. Yeah, have you worked with open source Elasticsearch or just AWS Elasticsearch? Which one? Both. Uh, I did the open source Elasticsearch a little bit at our previous employer, mm -hmm. and then a little bit at my employer before that one. Uh, but my current one, I've been doing very much just AWS one, which has a lot more restrictions than the open source one. Um, when it comes to like adjusting cluster level settings or looking at things because it's a managed service, yeah. but I don't know, it's much more easier and convenient to just say, okay, increase the data nodes, reduce the master nodes, figure out what's working for you or not using the service as opposed to, oh no, I must scale out my Kubernetes cluster again, or I must scale out this EC2 fleet that I have to manage Elasticsearch because that that was just so annoying. That was like my least favorite part of Elasticsearch was managing the infrastructure. Yeah, so I think I should be clear because I didn't actually explain the problem I was trying to solve because it was it's not like Elasticsearch is universally difficult. Uh, if it's set up and running, mm -hmm. it's it's pretty easy to work with. It's fairly intuitive. You just send your queries in, they do their thing, your results come back, the results are easy to understand as far as their responses. But if you have a bunch of data that's in one shape and you want to re-index it into a new shape, you then have to go through with juggling your, in, your aliases, you create new, and we also couldn't have any downtime with this service. So it was like, essentially you've got all the data that's already indexed, you start writing to a new index live, you have to be able to roll that back at any time and re-index back into the original index. You then also need to re-index all the existing data, which is now not being written to, so it's all static. Re-index that into the new indices, which have the correct shape you want. So now you're writing to the new indexes, or new indices, and you're re-indexing the old data into the new inde uh, index, so that everything's the right shape. And then if all that goes correctly, you move the alias over and start reading from the new stuff. And so just doing all of that through code with that being my first introduction to uh, managing Elasticsearch was quite a lot to understand yep. as far as the things, because things it does is really great. Like, I'll try not to spend too much time on this, but like re, the re-indexing API, it does a lot of stuff for you. And we use the rollover API, because we also did rollover of individual um, indices. And the rollover API, you pass it an alias, you pass it the right alias, which points to a single index. It then creates a new index from it and rolls it over so that it starts pointing that right index, sorry, right alias at the new 
index so that it starts writing to that one. But that means that if you're just looking at the code, you're like, isn't my right alias still pointing at the other thing? It's like, no, it did that for you. So there's a lot of little things like that where you just don't expect it. It's handy once you know it does it. And it's, again, one of those, like, it's solving a problem for you that you didn't anticipate. But because you didn't anticipate it, you don't see why it's doing it. And then you have to realize it's doing it. A lot of those sorts of assumptions uh, didn't come true. So. Yeah, once you move past the just searching and querying, like the whole re-index, rollover, cleanup, um, yeah, we could definitely do a whole episode on that, and then we probably will at some point. We totally could, yeah, once. I could talk about it for a while. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, and I would love to, because Elasticsearch is pretty cool and complex, and there's a lot, lot, of, lot of things there that are below the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, what cool. about you? Yeah, I'll, I'll mark that as a potential episode Sounds idea. Sounds good. Do you have anything uh, cool or interesting from tech this week? Not really. Um, I'm I mean, disappointed. a cool thing that happened to me okay. uh, was I got a Simple cash invite from Veltsimple. Um, and they said, if you sign up, we'll give you $100. So now $300, which is pretty cool if you ask me. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then I really like the whole AirDrop UI it has. The whole, it just depends on your vicinity, show you people nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any friends nearby, so I don't see anybody who uses Build Simple Cash, which is okay, because I don't want to give anybody any money. And yeah, and I finally finished Control, which was really good near the end, but I did not see the end coming. Like, I thought the final boss fight and finishing the game would be a lot more challenging given some of the side missions I've done and some side missions I still haven't finished because they're so hard so I figured hey the actual game would probably you know give me some sort of a challenge and once it's getting really good I'm unlocking some levels and powers it just ends I like the final boss fight is so lame and so easy that I was just I was sitting there I'm like oh this is over so that was the frustrating slash disappointing part of the cool tech thing. Um, so if you're playing Control, enjoy it while it lasts, because <laughs> you won't even know when it finishes, honestly. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's what happened to me last week. Well, uh, that's... Actually, you know, I was going to say that's not, that's too bad, but the first story was quite good. It was just a free hundred bucks, so yeah. it all shakes out. I know. Maybe the universe is making up for it. Maybe some data somewhere knew that I hated it. So a data point went to Simple, and they're like, well, he invests with us. Maybe we can like cheer him up. <laughs> and they're like, here's a hundred bucks, kiddo. Go, go live yeah, your sport. life. Go buy another yeah. game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to go play some EA games next. Um, but cool. We can, we can start talking about the, the topic today. Oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah, we've been doing this preparing for interview series. It's hot, it's great, and we we already have like some engagement as far as I can tell from YouTube stats. <laughs> right on. So, up to this point, what we convinced everybody to quit their jobs the last episode. Exactly. Uh, this does yeah. not constitute legal, financial, medical, uh, personal, emotional advice. But yeah, we told everybody basically uh, you've decided that you should quit your job, so just just leave. But now they have to interview, and yeah. we're here today to discuss how to prepare 
for the interviews so that you actually get the job offers. Because if you don't get the job offers, you're not going to have a job. Yeah, and if you're missing any steps in between, go listen to the previous podcast because we also talk about if you've figured out and want to quit, what should you do to prepare to start getting job offers or at least getting interviews and reaching to recruiters and how to make a profile better. Yeah, roughly speaking, episode one was about uh, what you should do before you leave your job and deciding whether you should leave your job and where you might want to work. And the next one was about preparing for opportunities and trying to find them. And this one will be about you've got some opportunities lined up, now you have to actually pass the interviews. So again, suppose you had some opportunities coming up. <laughs> what would you start doing? What would be your first thoughts for preparing for these interviews? Hmm. Well, my very first thing would be start lining up inter- like the initial phone call interview with the HR person. Um, very much make sure you have time, make sure depending on the job you've applied for, you have the resume and cover letter in front of you if you send different ones to different job offers because you wanted to highlight certain skills. And have very coherent thoughts because that is your first step into the process. If the HR person doesn't like you very much, the interview process may not move forward as well. Uh, So that's what I would start doing. I would start aligning them based on my calendar. If you also have a job, you might want to make sure it syncs with your work calendar because your current job takes priority over a future job. Um, And yeah, and once I've done all of that, based on what day I'm interviewing for what, I will start researching the companies. What would you do? Well, okay. I think we can we can riff on those initial suggestions a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, I think I do something similar. Oftentimes, I'll stick with email for a while if that's how they reached out, um, and just go back and forth, get, learn more about the actual um, opportunity itself, make sure that I understand what to expect if I'm going to be having a conversation. So leading into even an HR screening or something, just confirm that it actually is an HR screening and I'm not going to get a surprise technical screening. Uh, So find out who I'm interviewing with roughly. And uh, oftentimes, like you said, it will just be sort of a checking with HR. They'll see that you are a real person who has done things and can answer some basic questions and uh, you're not a total jerk. So it's important to be friendly and just like we said a lot last episode, just be nice to people. And that'll help you move along through the process. So I usually try to do that. Uh, a lot of times if I'm doing an HR call, I'll tend to do them right before work starts for the day. I'm a morning person, so that works well for me. Um, interviews later in the evening, I'll be a bit slower and a bit. it'll be a bit harder for me to stay focused. So doing it before work or during lunch, um, but right now my lunch shifts around a lot, so I wouldn't want to do that. So I do it before work. And then what was the second part you said? You had prepare for HR screening and then, oh, research the company. So yeah, that's a, another big thing that I imagine some people don't do, which blows my mind, because even if somebody just emails me and they have in the subject line, you know, Ruby on Rails developer at such and such place. I just go straight to Google before I open it. I'm just like, what is such and such place? And I'm so naturally curious about the companies that it would not seem possible for me to not at least find out about the company. But if you're not like that, 
you should definitely do that. If you get to the point where you're going to be interviewing with them, definitely learn at least a bit about the company. Uh, go to their website, read about what they actually do, and if it can, if you are leaving the website, because I've had this before, even my current employer, I kind of didn't really know what they did after I looked at their website, because it's not for consumers. It's a like business to business type of solution. And so I read it and I was like, this doesn't mean much to me. But that means at least you've looked at the website and can ask questions at that point. So if you've already looked at things, you have some context, it's a great way to ask a few more pointed questions at the your person doing your HR screening which generally they'll appreciate because they'll probably ask you, what do you know about our company? And if you say, I don't know, uh, you just emailed me, which sometimes that's fair, but it's a lot nicer if you can show that you have some interest, that you were curious enough and interested enough in the opportunity to do the three and a half minutes of research prior to the call. Yeah, and like we talked in our previous um, episodes, the HR person, if they're not helpful to you today, they might come in handy tomorrow. So if you leave a good impression by researching the company and they know you're a candidate who actually gives a crap, you will probably be put ahead of the pile of people who are like, oh, I don't know, I just want to get paid. Because, you know, as much as that is a very fair thing to want, it's also the thing that might not like put you ahead of the crowd because everybody wants to get paid. Yeah, also you might find out it's just not a company that aligns with your interests or goals or life like perspective on life because if you know if you're if you're very like interested in nature and their website is saying you know we produce more carbon emissions than any company ever you're gonna be like well that might i might not feel good about working at this company and even if the opportunity sounded great it was exactly the stack you wanted if you're gonna feel weird about working at the company then that's probably not a good thing to move forward with it's why i would feel weird even though I'd really like to work at like the company maintain or the team maintaining React or something like that, I'd feel really uncomfortable telling people I worked at Facebook. And for that reason alone, not that I'm going to accidentally end up there, <laughs> but given the opportunity, I'd be very tempted to just say like, let's not have this discussion because it's just not a company that aligns with the sorts of things that I want to be doing in the world. Yeah, and th that makes perfect sense. I know I didn't move forward with an interview with Jewel mm. because of that very reason because you know I, I don't want to be associated anywhere near that even though they paid San Fran salaries in Victoria wow. uh, which was very tempting yeah. um, but I know I would have hated myself and my job which nobody wants also yeah like Nathan said look up their website look up their values and mission statement because uh, a you want to see if it sort of aligns with you B if you take a note of that based on the company, they will definitely interview you about it. I know whenever I applied at startups and I would know their mission and like values and everything beforehand, they loved it. They, cause that's generally a question they ask. And if you bring it up naturally, uh, then they're like, hey, this candidate has done their research and they seem to be aligning with what we wanna do because a lot of times in smaller sized companies, you do interact with the founders and owners. And a lot of business people actually really much care about their business. Um, but then there's companies where, you know, they have slogans like that I've mentioned in the past, and I will mention again, work hard, play hard. Do not go there. Just, just, there is no play hard. There is just work hard. 
and yeah just just try to steer away if you're me and maybe you want to work weekends you know good for you go apply but it's good to know that beforehand yeah the play hard just means they'll bring you some pizza sometimes, sometimes. if yeah. if they get the contract if they get the contract <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah or you know when they're just like over oh, this like hardworking individuals and we put I don't know work first or something that means you're gonna be there on weekends that means you're gonna be there late at night and if you think you staying late at night and work is rewarding you with dinner is a great thing you need to reevaluate benefits and how you look at your worth at the job which we can do another whole episode on because I feel very strongly <laughs> about it now I didn't in my younger years I'd be like, oh my God, my work is giving me dinner and an opportunity to work after six. What a great company. <laughs> <laughs> Over time, who needs that when I have pizza for dinner? Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. And But yeah, definitely. And I know for, for, for a fact, like some companies don't care about all of their values and everything, but Amazon, if you go interview their, their leadership principles, they live and breathe, it'll come up in your HR technical, behavioral every interview you will take with them and they so have so many look for those yeah and they have their 14 and you need like three stories for each one of those and you, yes it's just yes I specifically remember customer obsession trying to come up with examples for that and this is again why you need to know what type of interview you are preparing for because if you're going to be preparing for an interview where you think you're going to be asked more of the soft skills questions, or you need to have stories ready for something like, um, what are these called? I already forgot. The leadership, leadership principles. principles. Then you need to put in the time ahead of time to prepare those stories because you will, it's very unlikely you will come up with good stories on the spot related to principles that you read about on somebody else's website. So, you know, Gian and I spent quite a bit of time preparing stories for these various leadership principles. And even with a few hours of prep, we still didn't have quite enough stories for at least the questions I was given. And we tried our best, but if, exactly. you, don't, if you don't do that ahead of time, you really don't stand much of a chance. Yeah, because if they're sitting there and be like, tell me about a time when you had an argument with the manager and you're like, well, I can reverse a binary tree. <laughs> they're not going to care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> very, very important to know those. And yeah, definitely, if it's, if it's helpful, get a buddy. Um, we were lucky that we worked together and had similar interview timings. So we just prepared together. Um, you may not, but, you know, hang out with somebody at work because you may not always see the skills or qualities or things you have done, but maybe your coworkers do. That's a good point. If you have a good work environment. Yeah, yeah. if you're not terrible. Yeah, if you're not terrible. Not that we're saying you are. If Actually, you know what I don't <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's episode 18. We don't care anymore. You're probably bad. <laughs> no, man, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I, I can't judge somebody based on here. So get a job, man, or not. You know, it's your life. We're all West Coast, it's summer, I'm, I'm just done. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, definitely the ask about the role. Uh, and when you take those kind of interviews, since 
uh, we're in COVID time now and all of these will be happening virtual and not in person. One of the things I've noticed that people do for preparation is they'll have a notebook and a pen paper sitting there. So if there's like certain things about these stories and trigger words you need, you can probably write them down. When, when they ask you things, they're not gonna look at your notebook given how you position your camera. You can just look at it and be like, oh yeah, by the way, and then you can like use it for helpful. Like this is one great thing about doing webcam interviews now. Or even phone call interviews where you can basically have your whole wall plastered in stories and you can just read off of it because they're not seeing what you're doing. Yep, that's good. And try to keep everything positive. So don't make up a bunch of, or don't have a bunch of stories ready that are just you mm-hmm. complaining about how bad your coworkers are. That should be obvious, but in case for that one person out there that that was their approach, don't do that. It doesn't make you sound like a yeah. good candidate. It makes you sound difficult to work with. Exactly. Anytime you bring up problems over solutions, you will probably get looked over. If you do bring up any problems, make sure you supplement it with the solution. Don't just be like, oh yeah, we had a manager who wouldn't listen to anybody. It could be that, hey, we had a manager where we had some communication problems and I went over and talked to him about it and we came to some conclusion. Also, don't make up stories. Really try to say things in a more professional manner of things that actually happened to you. Because if you try to BS your way through, a lot of people see through that. Yeah. That's a good point. By the way, did you know I was on the original Mars rover wow. team? Wow. Yeah. That's such a good story. I know. It's It just exhibits every single principle, leadership principle Amazon has. <laughs> All 14. I was obsessed with the moon, so customer <laughs> obsession. <laughs> yeah. But if you do sh- stuff like that, they're, they're going to, you know, not, not take you not take you seriously. And then based on your interview that you're doing, have your prep material ready. Like, again, very obvious, but be very, very careful. Like, if you're doing a coding interview, make sure you have an IDE that's offline as opposed to just the browser one in case the browser one isn't working properly. Um, if you're doing a phone call interview, make sure it's somewhere quiet. You don't have, like, outside traffic or people yelling around. Is this a personal attack or something? <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe something. Uh, but but you've seen that, right? Like it, it it throws you off so much in the moment. You don't think about it normally when you're just doing your normal job or casually talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. But the interview stress and pressure is so different uh, than anything else because you actually care about the activity you're doing and it has real consequences. So you want to make sure you are in the best suited position. If you are doing virtual interviews, Please dress up. Like you don't have to put on a whole suit, but don't just wear a hoodie and sit in front of the webcam. I've taken some interviews and it's like immediately I'm like, okay, you don't you're not you're just too comfortable. You just don't really care. Not that like I use that to disqualify them, but so far the whole data set that I've had, anytime I've had a candidate like that, they were not serious about the interview process. Fair enough. Yeah. Any other like tips for preparing? for these interviews? Well, we haven't even gotten to any of the like technical interviews yet, but as far as soft skill stuff goes, I think we've covered a good amount. You alluded to something that I did want to highlight though, which was, um, you say if you're talking to you know, startups and whatnot, you might end up talking to you know, founders or C-suite level people. And 
to just to reiterate, that is a time it's really good to know stuff about the company itself because if you put yourself in their shoes, if you, the amount of work that goes into creating a company, they're going to be very proud of having built this company. And so if you think of whatever you're very proud of, if somebody comes up in your life that you're looking to work with and they happen to already know stuff about this thing that you're very proud of, it's going to it's just going to build good reciprocity, which is something that you want. You want to give off, the way that I heard somebody describe it, I think it was Jem Young in a, uh, a random front-end master's course, but he was just like, the person who gets hired is generally the person who gives off the most good vibes throughout the entire process. And by the end of it, whoever had the most good vibes is probably going to get the job. And so that's some combination of just being nice to be around, making the other person feel good, and then if they recognize that you care, that'll make them feel good, and as well as all the technical stuff. So if you seem like you'll be good at your job, and you care, and you're nice to be around, all those things together, it's, that's gonna give you the best shot, especially in a big candidate pool, if you're applying for a job like that. Yeah, totally. I know my first startup interview, when they were talking about something, I was like, oh yeah, by the way, I looked at the things you did, I went onto your blog, and these are the certain things and they like the smile on their faces were crazy they're just like nobody does that i'm like i know i did it because i wanted to work here and i'm pretty sure that was a huge catalyst in me getting hired there or i mean they technically hired me three months later but because they didn't have a position but they remembered because i was so interested and you know engaged with them during the whole process it's probably over recommended and it's a bit campy but if you have no idea how to do this whole giving off good vibes thing just sort of strategically you can always read how to win friends and influence people and i went through that mm. book probably a good eight years ago and it was all a lot of just like oh yeah i understand this this is stuff that likable people do but if you don't really know how to do that with strangers because I'm naturally much more reserved with strangers than I am with people I know, having those things spelled out did help me keep them in mind when I was talking to someone like an HR person I've never met. I was like, all right, remember to be like this because it comes off well and it's the way you act around people you're familiar with. And uh, if you're kind of like me and more reserved normally, that can be a good book, at least I found it was a good book for just keeping those things top of mind. Um, so that, again, you come off well to on, on a first impression basis yeah well we'll link the book in the description if you want to go buy it yeah i've read it i liked it too yeah and that seems like a great segue into talking about the first phone call interview if you don't have anything else i to do talk not about. cool um yeah so very first phone call interview with the hr uh, i just jot down a couple of points um, have a copy of your resume in front of you because they're looking at it while they're talking to you and asking questions. Um, oh yeah, and this is my favorite thing. I learned about it a couple months ago and it has really changed like the narrative on how HR people interact with me was, so before when I used to answer phone calls, it'd be like, hey, how's your day? Is this a good time? I'd be like, oh yeah, this is definitely a good time and my day was fine. So. I, I treat them as acquaintances and you know they are my acquaintances that's why I'm treating like them 
but the whole thing about Nathan just saying about being more personable and hashtag good vibes. So what I started doing after that, I, I, I watched some video about it, and instead using that first minute or two really effectively. So when they're like, how was your day? I'm just like, oh, it was great. I went out for a walk, had a good workout session, or if I had a really good breakfast or whatever, you know, throwing some personal details so it feels like you're trying to build a connection. And then they sort of reciprocate most of the times because HR people are good at, you know, humans. And sometimes as programmers, forget about how to human. So those kind of things really help build that little connection in the beginning. And yeah, so that has really helped me uh, having that little bit of cheeriness, you know, pretend you work in a customer support role, you know you booked this time with them and they're like, is this a good time? You could be like, absolutely. This is the best time I, or whatever, you know, find, find some cheery things. If you are naturally cheery, then, you know, good for you. <laughs> uh, if you're not, try. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it, you won't ever get negatively biased for being a nice or cheery person. Yeah, I because my, um, my goal hasn't been to actually get a lot of new jobs. I was feeling very comfortable with my interviewing last year. And one of the things I played around with was just being a bit more like, the way I would call it is almost silly along the process, where it's just mm. like, just being a bit more fun, a bit more silly at each point, especially if the person I was talking to seemed like the person who might be uh, open to that sort of thing. So if I'm talking to someone who just seems very, very serious, it's hard to do that. But it's very rare to come across an HR screening that's going to be very serious. So having fun with it, treating them like it's you know, a silly goose time, is uh, yeah. it makes the experience more fun, for me at least. And again, people will generally respond well to it. So if, actually that's, this might be a good thing too, is if you have opportunities that you're not actually like seriously considering it can still be good to do some interviewing for practice and just try out these sorts of things where you know the stakes are lower and it gives you a chance to do essentially what i did a lot of last year which was just casually interview keep on top of it and you can try things out like having more fun while you interview yeah yeah definitely and like if you're talking to not hr of a company but one of those hrs that have multiple job offers or multiple companies they work with you can be a lot more casual with them because their job isn't dependent on getting you hired at that one company. They have lots of opportunities. And the better they get to know you, the better culture they can find for you to fit mm -hmm. into based on whatever company you apply for. Yeah, I'm basically friends now with my la the last HR person who hired me. We just hang out sometimes because it was a good experience working with them. Yeah, be more like Nathan. Yeah, everybody should, right? <laughs> <laughs> I try, I'm just failing at it, but I, I'm trying. Um, and then, yeah, and then other things you should keep in mind is like the initial HR screening call, things you should know, things you should ask. I generally inquire about the job position, what is the team size, what is the expected, if it's a contractual role, how long is the contract supposed to be, um, what is the general team culture vibe if they know. If they don't, then I generally just wait for the actual team interviews to figure that out. And one of the biggest one I've started asking now, right up front, is what is the salary range? It just, at that point, I can decide if I wanna move forward or not instead of going through the whole process and negotiating, because almost every single job has a band and they'll just tell you, like we discussed in the previous episode, just ask and more, more nine out of 10 recruiters will just be like, 
this is what the company has said they'll pay and not a penny more. It's shocking. And Again, I'll just reiterate because I mentioned it last episode. It's shocking how easy it is to get people to just give you a number. I did not think it would be that foolproof, but it really is. You just ask for the range they're looking to hire for, and so far I think I've had 100% success rate of them just being like, yep, yeah, this is what we're looking to hire for. And whereas before I would get three interviews deep, and then finally they'd start giving me a range. <laughs> Yeah, and those usually, you know, they're at that point you're too involved, so you want to see if you want to. And if you don't have a lot of interviewing experience, maybe you want to go through it. You just want to get that experience out, and you know, if the whole process was good, maybe they'll consider you for roles that have a higher paying scale if that's your bar for not taking the mm -hmm. job. But more often than not, at least with my schedule and lifestyle, I just like to get that out of the way because I, I don't want any jobs that pay below market. I don't know. I have rent to pay, man. So some of the things I like to ask pretty much everybody I interview with is how long they've been at the company, just to get some context. And if they've been Sorry. if they've been at the company for a long time, uh, a long time would be pretty much anything over two or three years in tech. And uh, if they've been there for a while at least, it gives me a good chance to ask more context-based questions. I can ask things like, oh, what's your favorite thing that's kept you there for so long? Or uh, I'm sure you must have seen people leave. What reason do people normally leave for uh, in your perspective? And it's really nice if you can get that, at least in my opinion, from HR ahead of time because then you can also ask the dev team later when they're interviewing you and see if those things kind of line up. And because they're very different perspectives. One is a technical role with people who are working side by side with people that you'd be working with. And another one is more higher level. They're just looking across the company at what they imagine the reasons to be. And if those things line up, you're probably getting a pretty good impression of why people actually leave. And uh, you know, a lot of the times it's just like, oh, they, they were getting other opportunities because I'm working at startups and interviewing with startups. And those say like, well, a lot of the times we just lose people to big companies that pay a lot more. You're like, all right, if everybody says that, that's probably the case. And I, luckily, I, I keep talking about how much I like my current employer, but the reason they gave me was just like, actually, people don't really leave. Like, we don't have a lot of turnover. And they just don't do a whole lot of hiring because they don't have a whole lot of turnover. And I've been there for a year, almost a year and a half. And uh, yeah, we haven't really had any turnover. So it's, uh, it's nice if you can get that insight ahead of time. Because if you're hearing something different, especially if they get sort of a, a gassed look over their face and you, they then start trying to figure out how to politically state that everybody's overworked and sick of being there, then that's a good sign that you probably don't want to be there either. Yes. Yeah, that's a question I am now adding to my list because I never ask, and I have noticed that there were certain opportunities where I should have. Mm -hmm. Again, that's another one that surprises people, and usually you can get a pretty good answer uh, because they haven't had to answer it a dozen times already, so they don't have a well prepared political answer. Very cool. Um, that's all I have for the HR screening yeah. interview. They're usually pretty simple. Uh, yeah. And do you want to talk about the others? I feel like we're getting close to the time. Sure. Yeah, I guess well, one thing, because everything's fairly remote these days, it might be good to also ask if there's relocation expectations. Um, not to assume that everybody is okay with you working remote. So, uh, so far I've had everybody say that I've talked to that they're fine with remote work, but you wouldn't want to 
get through the process and find out that they expect you to move across the country. Yeah, I, I found the mo most, actually every recruiter I've ever spoken to, they usually just tell that beforehand. Um, if they expect you to move, because I generally just ask, where are you guys located? And then that's when the question usually pops over in the same city and there may be an expectation currently we're remote, but we want you to come in once situation's back to normal. Other times they're like, well, we're completely on the East Coast and we don't really care if you move there or not. And I'm like, cool, because I don't want to. Yeah. yeah, easy conversation. But then after that, again, should you just grind leak code problems to get ready for your next exam or next uh, interview? Oh, man. I feel like this is a lengthy conversation. I feel like we should save it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a big question. Interview um, prep. Yeah, especially the technical part. I'm sure we have a lot of opinions and experience with the at least the technical part of being prepared. So yeah, I I think we'll we'll talk about that in the next episode on how to continue preparing for the interviews. Okay. So yeah, in this episode, we, we just basically talk everybody how to be nice to HR people. <laughs> basically, and what questions to ask. You know, that's a very important one that you generally forget on the beginning screening because you're just so too focused on, all right, give me the TLDR of what the job is about. But the HR call is very underrated. Like, I have noticed that if those go really well, the rest of the interview process also tends to because in com combination to the other feedback, the HR person is the one who at the end of the day can sort of, you know, try to defend you mm -hmm. or not based on your skill set. Yeah, so if we're gonna wrap it up there, I think I will go back with a few more questions for HR. So mm -hmm. one of them that I like to ask is, can you describe in your perspective what the team's culture is? So a lot of the times there's terms like people can rattle off for company culture, but the team I'd actually be working on, like what is their culture like? And oftentimes, they'll just come back with an offer of, do you want to talk to some people on the team? And I love doing that. So if, I, if I'm not explicitly told I'll be talking with somebody on the team, that, at that point I'll try to request it. Like, hey, it'd be great if I could meet somebody on the team, find out if I'm going to jive with them. And uh, again, just trying to get more perspective on what it's like to actually be on the job for this company because as I've alluded to in the past, company culture is a really big thing for me. And if everything seems genuine and seems to line up with the sorts of things I like, then that's a good sign. Um, and the nice part is they don't know you that well, so they can't really make it up. And so one of the things that you know I would, I would hear and think it's really good is like, oh, we have really high standards for the code that we'll push out, so we'll like, be very aggressive on code reviews and you have to have thick skin to do that. It's like, that might sound bad to a person and to me I'm like, that's exactly what I want. Like, I don't want to be dealing with people's rushed, under-reviewed code. So, to me, that would be great. And if somebody told me that in an interview, they wouldn't know to tell me that based on that they just don't know me that well. So, their lack of data on me is actually helpful for getting useful data out of them. And just prodding, doing more prodding like that. I don't know that I actually have any other questions, but that one popped to mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the anything that was on my mind, I've already 
discussed because I do save most of my questions for actually the team or whoever the technical person is because they're the ones I'm going to be working with. Um, the HR person is give me the details about the job, the company, the salary, the bonuses. Uh, you may also want to talk to them everything about like does the company like sort of care about your mental health and stuff? Do they have benefits and things to provide for that? And one of the things I heard that a great thing you can ask post-pandemic is during the COVID-19 crisis, how did you treat your employees? How were they managed? How did the company handle this? If they're just like sort of unapologetically, well, we fired some people because budget was low or whatever. Firing people during that time is not the worst thing, but their attitude towards is. So you need to know uh, ahead of time if the company is just like, yeah, that really sucked for us, but we had to do it or the business would go down. As opposed to, well, yeah, we had to cut some forces down, whatever, and if they're just like, ah, whatever, people come and go, then you know you don't want to be there. <laughs> um, or best case scenario, if they're like, yeah, we gave everybody a bunch of like money so they can spend making their home office better, and we connected through Zoom or whatever a lot more. There were company events and things. Then, you know, you're you're like cool. I I want to be here. There's some sense of job security. Um, yeah. Good points all around. So, again, do you have a report for us on how you did better last week? Oh, uh, I do. I started basic coding. Oh, you're, you're so, learning to code. I'm learning wow. to code after six years of being a software <laughs> developer. <laughs> Sweet. What is basic coding? Um, basic coding is, um, so now I want to solve those, you know, general coding questions they ask and sort of start making, I want to do a little bit more algorithmic coding um, as opposed to just let's create another REST API or Let's do some of this other thing. So I want to do a little bit more algorithmic. So I'm going back to Java because it's my, it's just my base language. I keep reverting back to it every time I want to build something. But if I have to build something from scratch for a small thing, I generally just go with Python because of the low overhead. But Java just has everything so well explained for me. It was how I learned object oriented. It's the data type structures are a lot more cleaner for loops have actual indexes as opposed to Python. <laughs> and just little things where like, it also executes faster. So if you wrote something recursive, but it's not terribly optimized, in Java, it'll take you a while to figure that out as opposed to Python, where you just get the stack memory out of OM exceptions. Um, so, you know, I'm going back to that. And then so now I have to brush up on, all right, what's new with Java 8? Or is that the latest? I don't even know anymore and look at other things like if they introduce new data structures and data types, how I may use that. So that's what I'm starting to do now um, because once I do that, then I may go work on Winston a little bit more. Uh, my Golang is getting rusty again. Uh, <laughs> my programming is getting rusty. I think we all know that at this point. I've been doing YAML programming and solutions architecting for so long. I forgot and would like to be a real coder. Um, yeah, so I'm getting back to that. Um, actually, one of the did better things that I actually really liked on the more soft skill part was I talked to some old friends. I like, like older, like people I haven't talked to in like three or four years. It's like, hey, what's up? Um, so that was kind of nice. Found some interesting things. One of them now have a kid. So I was like, huh, 
that's pretty neat. Um, and I started reading the tech letter, as I said in my previous Do Better. Um, it's called Future Loop. Uh, it's that AI-based newsletter where you it filters news based on your interests and sends you that instead of just a spammy newsletter. And it also more or less has like proper like positive innovation and things instead of just everything that's going wrong in the world. So I like that better. I'm reading it. It's kind of cool. And then for doing better, what I'm going to do is I've made myself a goal of doing 10 algorithmic problems by the end of it. I'm going to cheese at least two or three of it. Like, you know, just try to code the Fibonacci again, <laughs> uh, make it the most optimized solution. Mm -hmm. um, try to do a little linked lists and trees and hash maps. Um, and then I may just do like some, some of the more normal lead code, harder ones where I hate myself for doing them, but I'll continue doing them. And I want to go get back in my habit of writing blog posts because the Do Better Club website hasn't had any updates since February. So I'm, I'm going to write a blog post. I already have a topic. So I just need to actually type. Hmm. We have somewhat similar things that kind of surprise me here. But uh, as far as my did better, um, the big one is time management or like intentional time spending. So I mentioned last week that I was, one of my do-betters was to actually come up with things to do better this week. And I started that right away, because that just makes sense, where I basically just sat down for five, 10 minutes and was like, all right, what's going on? Like, why am I not getting, like figuring out what to do with my day? And I realized that I think a lot of it was just my default for my entire life has been to always been very intentional with my time. So I, it's, it's why I don't end up in just like the endless scroll on my phone, because after three scrolls, I'm like, is this what I want to be doing? Like, I probably should just do something else, and then I'll just figure out something else to do. And the downside of that used to be every Sunday, around, or every other Sunday, something like that, around 2.30 in the afternoon, I'd run out of stuff to do for the, the weekend, but it was not a three-day weekend. On three-day weekends, this was never a problem. So I couldn't like ease into like, what should I do tomorrow and then plan for that and have something fun to do for the evening. It was always like, well, I kind of have to get ready for work the next day. And I would just have this dead time between like, I finished stuff for the day and it's not bedtime yet, but I don't know what to do with four hours. And I would basically just have what I tended to call an existential crisis. And now I went through 2020 where there was a lot of that time where there was just nothing to do. And I recognized early on like, I can't be that for an entire year. I will lose my mind. So I just became really, uh, I had to like make this mental switch to become totally comfortable with just, you're not doing anything right now. There's just, you're, you're just at home and there's nothing to do and that's fine. But that meant that I stopped questioning what should I be doing with my time and it felt like putting on an old pair of shoes again to just be like, ah yes, what am I doing right this second? You know what I could do? I could do the dishes. And then after that, I'm like, what can I do? I could go for a walk. And I get home, like, what could I do right now? You know what? There's nothing to do. I've got an hour. I'll play some video games. And just being very intentional about that instead of just sort of like drifting around through the day. So I felt a whole lot better. Not to mention the fact that uh, I went for a hike, like I mentioned earlier, and that made me feel like a normal person again. 
So it was like a nice productive day, a lot of stuff done all at once, and it was on the back of trying to be more intentional. So that was great. That was the big win. And uh, I also finished reading all my AWS course notes. And at this point, I'm feeling a bit overconfident, which I think it's just time for me to commit to like, I'm writing this before the end of the month. Uh, so right now it's the 20th. So I've got 11 days, something like that, uh, to write it. And uh, I don't think, if I fail it, I fail it, but like I can't put it, put it off much longer because it doesn't make sense. So go do that. I was getting a lot of where I'd read a line in my notes and just be like, well, of course. And the more I got that, I was thinking like, all right, I'm probably in a good spot, good mental model for how this stuff all works together. And uh, something that was very similar, which is this is what surprised me, is over the course of the last week, I talked to like pretty much every contact in my phone that I've spoken to in the last few years. I just like reached out to everybody because I just wanted to and you know, talked to pretty much all my immediate family. It just happened. It wasn't intentional. Some of them reached out to me. I reached out to them. But I just talked to a lot of people, so that was nice. And uh, speaking of video games, I hit platinum rank in 2v2 in Rocket League. So that was the first time doing that, which is pretty cool. And uh, one of my do-beggars for next week, it would be cool to hit platinum rank in ones. I'm gold three, which is top end of gold. And uh, I'd feel like I earned it if it was ones because I can't count on anybody else. But it's a stretch goal because I it depends on who I meet up against. Like if I go to somebody else who's actually on their way to diamond, it doesn't matter how good I think I am, I'm still gonna get beaten. So. We'll see, I'll try. But the actual do-beggers that I need to do better is, like I mentioned, commit to taking that AWS exam before the end of April. And uh, something I've been thinking about for a couple of years is putting a, um, a YouTube video together or in this case, starting with a blog post and then making a video out of it. And it's about like idempotent state management and just the benefits of using that and the ways it comes it's come up. But I wanted to have it have better examples. So that's why it's been drawing out over a couple of years because I thought about making it a long time ago. And I was like, I don't have good experience with this. But now I've written enough like data migration commands and after working with like Elasticsearch, like I mentioned, having to deal with all those things, commands that are idempotent that you can run and then if it fails you can run it again and you know the result's still going to be what you want it to be. Those sorts of things are so useful. And then talking about how you can combine that with things like finite state machines in something like xState for UI management or um, with event-driven architecture where if you have something that's idempotent it doesn't matter if you receive events more than once and process them more than once. You can just process it both times and it still results in the right thing. Like these sorts of things are really useful ideas that they're not new, but I'd like to explore them and see how it comes, like the things I can suss out of that and explain it with my examples. And if I can come up with something, it won't be in one week because it will take me a long time to write it, but get started on it, that would be cool. And eventually, if I can get my thoughts in a cogent enough manner, I will make a video and then let people know about the article in the video and I'll get my 25 views on my website. That happens anytime I do that. Plus having one video out finally on my channel after like a year and a half. Yeah, you might might get like maybe the doubles, maybe you get like 50 views. 
and then you redirect the traffic to the podcast. And oh, then yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I do need to mention the podcast as well. But I'm thinking next time I put out a video, I'll probably do a separate one. It's just like, hey, by the way, this is why I don't make YouTube videos, but if you want to see some, I have a weekly podcast mm. that I'm doing with my friend Gian. So, like, I, I feel weird about just throwing it into a random video, but I also don't want to, after a year and a half, upload a video that's like, this is why I don't make <laughs> videos. Also, go check out my podcast. Yeah, just be like, today's sponsor is... Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say one. I was like, they're not sponsoring, so I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> that's what you think now. Um, cool. That's wow. That's a that's a decent amount of goals. Yes. I look forward to you finishing that course so I can study off of you. Yeah. And do it myself. Yes. Well, it's your actual job, so I'm sure you'll find it very easy compared to me. <laughs> we'll see. Is it is it a lot of YAML? No, there's, there's, oh. there's literally no YAML in this course because it's, it's all about the ideas. You basically just have to memorize, you know, like 30 services and what they do and how they interact. Um, and the things that, the only things that are bad about it are the things that are like factoids. You just have to know. And it's like, do I really need to know that like it can process I, this actually might be useful. I'm trying to think. It's, oh, one of the questions I got asked was like, which one is not a valid shape for an S3 URL that's like generated by an S3 bucket when you host a website on it? And I'm like, that doesn't affect my architecture. Like, I look this up once and I've got the string. I don't need, I don't need to base my entire uh, system architecture around the shape of this URL. So like, those sorts of things are annoying. Um, things that are like, you know, what can you put a which which of these services can you not attach a security group to? That might be more useful because then you're not trying to like debug something that you thought you should have a security group on, but you actually can't even add one. Those things make sense, but the stuff that's little factoids, those are annoying. But you'd be fine with the general principles. I'm just gonna put like comments on and be like, if you give me anything less than a 70, I'm using GCP for all my features. <laughs> just threaten them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or yeah, and then just be like, but not Azure because Azure sort of sucks. And then they get a laugh out right. of it, and they get threatened. So then, but I, then they then I they win. give you a seventy, and you still fail because the passing grade's a seventy-two. Oh, uh, then I'll say seventy-five. Okay. <laughs> yeah. See, I didn't even know that. <laughs> I just thought seventy would be good enough, but seventy-two seems yeah. arbitrary. Raise your standards. Yeah, I think it's because I have sixty-five. So, the uh, like there's sixty-five questions. Okay. Okay. I was like, that is like, they're really going for that 110% commitment. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's, uh, that's the cool. end of my rant of stuff. Well, I look forward to those. Um, yeah, and thanks anybody for listening to this. Go check out Nathan's YouTube and blog, NW Calvang. Tell your friends. Yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Do Better Club is a partial sponsor for mm -hmm. that. Uh, because Nathan is a partial owner for that. Um, yeah, I get half yeah. the stonks. That's how it works, yeah. right? You get, you, yeah, you have the stonks. Half of them, half them of course. Yeah, you've, you, Not you crazy. have the other half. Just because yeah. I'm, just cause yeah. I am Vogan, the top co-host of the podcast, does not mean I get more stonks. Yeah. It do, yeah, we are a fair-based company. We give all our employees an equal <laughs> amount of, of stonks. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Only now, if if the if it actually turns into something, that may statement not stay true. But for now, it yes, is. I'm glad you added that condition. 
Yeah, I don't want to get sued like 10 years in the future. I know this podcast has potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thank you for all of you who make me believe it has potential. So keep listening, come back. If you have any questions, please uh, hit us up on our email and yeah, or our social media handles. Just come, come hit us up because we're cool. Yeah, we'll see you next week. See you next week.